I want to thank both of you for coming in here and talking to me. I'm super interested to hear what you have to say. And I know, Rich, you were just talking about, I want to jump right back into that, how the feed right now is too high and what that has to do with fire danger and um, how there's not enough livestock to sort of take care of that at the moment. So just... Sue has the best... It, how last year uh, there wasn't enough feed, so people had to sell off their crop, their herds, and then couldn't rebuild them fast enough to now take advantage of all the feed that's out there. Yeah, it's interesting, like any kind of ranching, farming, drought has a real play on how you manage right. your business. And so you have to manage the land and be a good steward. So on a short feed year, you sell. And then, of course, this year, we could have held double the amount of cattle we have on the place. But this year, too, 19 or 2023, there's a shortage in livestock beef cattle on the market. So... They're not even really out there to buy. And in some things like ours, we don't like to take in outside cattle. We like to grow our own so that we know the history and the breeding and the bloodlines. And so it makes it a little bit different to rebuild after you have to take it down. But And one thing I would like to say, though, about having extra feed is nice. It will be um, if you keep that low and you've done your vegetation management, it can be a good thing. Because even if it's a fire, it only creeps along the ground. Mm-hmm. instead of getting up into the trees because that's initially what you want to keep from happening yeah so actually having the livestock on the land really helps with fire danger fire danger and weed abatement a lot actually and um, there's a lot of things about the cattle you'll see whether it's in the mountains or in the um, lower hills is the amount of um, the ecosystem that actually thrives on it like cattle the dung beetle it it needs poop to live, right? right. And it, it's really incredible to watch him work. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of things that you wouldn't have if you didn't have livestock. Totally. Um, how do the livestock sort of, how do they fare with these extreme weather, whether that's the super hot summers or the really cold winters? Like when we get all the snow, how, how do the cattle fare? So similar to a person, you know, when you have that extreme heat and cold, but they don't have the ability to change quickly. So you do sometimes see an pneumonia happens mm. and so you have to watch that because a key is you don't you want it less vaccination that you have to give for antibiotics is key in our mm-hmm. business uh so f- make sure the f- but this is a good feed year right? right so that's really good and you can have them on the dry land versus on irrigated pasture yeah you know that's a difference in that too as you manage it so um but there's still things you have to watch for yeah i mean they're they're eating off the dry Land, uh, farmed land right now and then later you'll go into your irrigated pasture yeah like right um, now we're cutting hay oh wow so we're okay. going to grow our own hay to feed our cattle through the winter next year yeah so we're going to see benefit to this spring for a... we ought to have a very good hay crop this year that's really cool yeah because the hay bring, just rain brings the natural nutrients that the ground needs for one thing yeah without us really having to apply fertilizers right now because they're so expensive anyway. And so if you get it from nature, you're way better off. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then in the past, I guess, how have we dealt with this extreme weather, especially um, I would say sort of really big winter, I feel like I've experienced living here. And how has that really affected, um, again, just doing, whether that's with, we know we've talked about the, uh, um, large livestock, but with them um, growing things, I know you grow citrus up by Orland and like, what, how has that just been when, as far as how so, do crops fare? So, um, so go back a ways 
and how I grew up. My dad, in 1932, walked across the Sacramento River and didn't get muddy. <laughs> it was dry. Wow. Okay. But in 1939, and this is prior to Shasta Dam being built, it was flooded all the way from what is now I-5 all the way almost to Highway 70 or 99, yeah. the whole valley. And there was malaria, encephalitis, and yellow fever, all the all the mosquito viruses. So go to 1972, we had a big cold snap. We didn't lose trees, but we lost our crop. Mm. Uh, 1990, December 20th, actually. Again, cold. Uh, then 98. But the big thing that affected me is either rain or lack of rain. That The coldness is fine. But mm. in... Uh, 77, we had a major drought, so we were um, flood irrigating at that time, and we couldn't irrigate about 25% of our crops, so they had to cut oh, trees, actually, so we took them out, and it got drier, and the well got didn't produce as much, so by 1993, I had already com, um, committed to going into, we had micro-sprinklers, which is the most efficient way to irrigate uh, orchards. And yes, it cut down our, our water usage by about 40%, but being farmers, we mm. increased our acreage by 40%. Uh. So we're using the same amount of water, mm-hmm. okay? Just made us more efficient, right. more productive, better crops. Then came the 2013, 2014 drought. Yeah. And there wasn't enough water. Even with everybody with high efficient irrigation systems, there was not enough water and people were pulling out trees. Hmm. And then the most recent one, um, last year, a couple of years, two, three years ago. That was the very severe drought, and people were any tree that was 15 years or older in Ammons, they were out, they were taking them out, and so it really, even with conservation to the max, there was not enough water to go around. Wow. So, Rich, that's a good point. So, I'd just like to bring again regulation. So, there was this point where when there was water, there wasn't allowed for ground recharge. Right. We've become so efficient with our water over time because it is this precious commodity. And so that was a challenge and didn't help the drought situation because when we did have water, it wasn't allowed. There was a regulation against it. Just this year, they've decided yeah, we need to we recharge have a new our... bill to recharge. We've been telling them that for years. And so this year they're saying, oh, we need to allow them to recharge. Yeah, Our and aquifers have to have that. We need, And finally, I mean, it's good. It's great to recharge our aquifers. Uh, here in Nevada County, I think the USGS did a, quite a study on it, and it rain dependent. Yeah. Our, our, we don't have an aquifer here. We have fractured rock, but it does recharge, and it's measurable, and we need that rain. The thing is, is that even in Nevada County, a lot of our, um, a lot of people are drilling wells and taking mm-hmm. more than their share and drying up their neighbors, and so we're seeing a lot more dry wells here in Nevada County. Um, that is a problem. Hmm. Um, and we can go into details on that, but it is affecting operations at every farm. Those who are lucky enough to have surface water supplied by NID, less of a problem. 
much less actually. And that's really interesting. So it sounds like a bulk of water does come from wells. Um, where does your water come from? Other than just wells, I guess is what I'm I mean. Asking. Irrigation water. Yeah, irrigation water. Um, both Sioux and and our operation here strictly NID, one hundred percent. And we um, depend on surface water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this county, um, I mean, NID has storage for two hundred seventy thousand acre feet. Uh, I think we're above two hundred fifty thousand right now with a tremendous amount of runoff, and so we're not only going to fill up. The snowpack, which is normal, uh, would apply, you know, supply us another 110,000 acre feet. Uh, but that we're losing that mm-hmm. uh, with this erratic weather. Uh, it's it's warmer. You know, this past year would not attest to that, but it has been warmer. It if we do get a snowpack, it will melt sooner. Uh, this year is more typical in that it's melting in May and June, probably into July which is ideal mm-hmm. for all of us. Uh, but when we have what we've had for the last oh, 10 years, not as much snowpack, faster melt, well, we don't get, we don't get the volume of water we need mm-hmm. for this community. So I think that's an interesting thing too, because that's something about agriculture and people that either farm or ranch is, we'll use that common term this year, pivot. You have to look at what's beneficial and change quickly. And it's harder in Rich's line because that preparation comes a year in advance. Mm-hmm. What you're going to plant, what you're going to, you know, so you know what your harvest cattle, kind of same thing, but not like this year. And we know we sold our calves early. We um, know we have extra feed to leave the cows out on dry feed. So we'll probably do a second cutting of hay to really utilize our water to its best benefit and to um, put in another whole season of hay. Right. So we'll get a second cutting, per se. I guess that's what we'll call a second cutting. And um, with the price of hay and things that have changed in the valley, alfalfa is not in as, well, it's just not as available. It's not being grown. And it's a huge cost. So if we can grow our own and make our water pay for itself, it's it's going to be helpful. So just a different kind. We won't have so many cows on the fields of the irrigated mm-hmm. pasture this year. And we'll be cutting hay. That's really interesting. Um, and just really quickly, what does it mean to let our aquifers and let our sort of watershed recharge? Uh, don't overdraft. It's simple as neighbors realizing that there's only a finite amount of water down there and they need to share it. Um, but we've had recently, the last few years, people coming in um, to grow, who have just put me in the biggest pump, biggest well. Mm-hmm. And I talked to one guy and he said, my, yeah, my output went from five gallons a minute down to one. Um, so if I were, had a wish that the county would have, and Sue has brought this up, a stronger water element, I should let you bring that up because this is, Sue's right on top of this, coupled with the fact that um, there's a lot of dry wells here. Uh, NID has a thousand customers who are using raw water as consumptive or domestic use. Now, legally, they have to buy drinking water from somewhere else, some service, some company. But there's a lot of people in this county that the wells are not working. 
and we're getting calls that a bunch more. We can't afford to let those wells go dry. So we need to get ahead of this. Yeah, so the other thing, just recharge is a little different here in the foothills versus the valley. So when we talk about recharge, like we're where Orland or down South Joaquin Valley, they have areas where they let it flood, particularly so that the water actually seeps back down to a degree. We Agriculture, really, we get a lot of hits. We've become so efficient with our water that we really, I, in my opinion, have kind of caused part of the problem. I mean, we let people overdraft, but it's because we're not putting it back like we used to in the old days, mm-hmm. right? So when people say efficiencies for agriculture, we make food. That's what we do. We, right. we grow food everywhere we go. And just like Rich talked, they used to flood the orchards. Now they micro-irrigate. So none of that water is going to the root base, but it's not getting beyond the root base. So those are some of the things that we deal with. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to how we even manage our irrigation water because we don't want to see runoff at the ends of our fields when we irrigate. And so people here are even getting more um, creative with their irrigation, a lot more drip irrigation for farming and ranching. You guys save a ton of money in your, um, what, you got 12 or 15 acres over there? Yeah, just under. Yeah, and 10, so 12. that's all under drip now, basically. So we're all working at doing our job. I've always been a believer in flood irrigation because I feel like it has its other advantage mm-hmm. and it's reused as it goes down the line. So we all have difference of opinions on how, how we save and manage water. But again, looking at the recharge, I think in the valley is huge because they are the ones that need water that we have. Mm. And, and Sue makes a great point on this. I don't see any water on our farms and ranches being wasted. And I won't get into details, but there is a threatened species and there's a runoff from one of someone not I won't get say who's ditch, right? But you can assume that runoff is supporting one of the four major habitats and colonies of this threatened species. Hmm. Is that a waste of water? I don't think so. I know there's so many ways to look at it. You bring such a good point. Our ecosystem needs wetlands, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes your wastewater really is doing a benefit. And uh, it, it's it's just a real unique situation, Yeah, you know? Like... um. Well, the black rail, for example, is a bird that they're, you know, it's endangered and it needs wetlands. It doesn't thrive unless it has it. And oh, I can think of numerous. But critter- that's the one I was referencing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I know numerous critters <laughs> that, ha- you know, that's part of where they're going to go. Because, you know, there's been a talk about encasing an ID over time, which would cost a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And it would save water, but it also would dry up part of our ecosystem. So farmers and ranchers kind of look at all these, you know, we have to make that way. Yeah, we could dry up a, we could dry up a, another acre if we wanted to, to manage it. But then if you go down there and really look and see how many critters are living in there. Yeah. It's really pretty interesting, right? From the salamanders. I mean, you don't, I don't hardly see those anymore, anymore, particularly, but um, just the, you know, you've got crickets, you've got snakes, you have bugs and I don't even know. It's just like needing the poo for the dung beetle, right? Yeah. Everybody needs its little place. So yeah. you can't be so so in touch with saving every drought of water or we're just going to look like mm-hmm. a desert wasteland here. And Everything has a purpose. Yeah. And that's really fascinating. So it sounds like 
you have to be really, really in tune with what's going on sort of within the boundaries of your operation. Without a doubt. Uh, and, and I think most most of the ranchers and farmers I know are. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would agree. Now, you irrigate out of a pond, which pond has its own element yeah. of ecology that goes around there, right? Yeah. And so we all have a little differences how that works. We have a couple of holding ponds that we use. And so there's fish, the geese, the birds come. The deer come the down deer. So it's really kind of interesting. Yeah. There is a there is a balance. You know, I mean, I don't know how fine, much more fine-tuned it could actually be sometimes through regulation. Mm-hmm. And sum it up, I think Nevada County has world-class habitat. Yeah. And, and the water that is put on the farms and the ranches create a green zone. And I, I know everybody. I, I've gone by Sue's place, and there's piles of brush for the quail to yeah. live in. All right? Uh, and they're everywhere. There's just habitat everywhere. The foxes are out. Everybody's kind of, you know, working it out in, in yeah, their the own environment. Hmm? Yeah, I know. I just get a hoot out of that. The wild turkeys are my favorite. Because they're just goofy. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, you got rabbits, skunks, fox, just like you say, bobcat. We've got, unfortunately, too many lions, but we got lions. We have bears. Too many skunks. Too many. No, but they have a job. But they all have a a purpose. And uh, so, yeah, I I think we get the best of all worlds because we kind of get to take it all in. That's really cool. I wish somebody that wasn't from here could just sit on the deck at our house for an evening and watch all the critters go by. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a parade. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something I haven't really thought about. I think it's really special that you guys get to see things the way you do um, and just be so in touch with that ecosystem existing there. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I will make it, a lot of people have a perception of what farming and ranching is as it pertains to the valley mm-hmm. or to other types of operations for cattle. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I've read, one acre of irrigated pasture, foothill pasture, is the equivalent to one acre of Amazon rainforest forest for carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't been able to find that article ever since, <laughs> but there is a significant amount of carbon sequestration going on in our, in our oak woodlands, in our whatever, you know, we're doing our pastures. Uh, we haven't even gotten into the fire th- conversation yeah no. yeah yeah well you know it's interesting so we just had a meeting we we all just went out and met at our place and looked around and like we live in a zone where the blue oaks are you know they're they're trying to protect them and you know that's our job as stewards of the land too to to manage that part of things so that we have this healthy grove and and so they're trying to get that from the bear to the yuba um through conservation and so there, it's really, it's kind of interesting. We, everyone just thinks, oh, you farm or you ranch. There's mm. way more to that. Huh. And then when you look at fire, I mean, I always bring this back. I have, I have a large parcel of land and a good part of it is green around. I think we irrigate about 122 acres, I think, something like that. And, and then plus we work on vegetation management as well in the rangeland. And those are, that's a huge buffer for Pin Valley, in in my opinion. I mean, when we had the 49er fire, they ha- took a stand there and 
they turned it, you know, and stopped it. So we, Rich, you know, he's out in the middle of this little area and has 15 or 18 acres. Was 32. Yeah. Well, but But, I'm just saying, so in the, you got the farm and then he manages the outside vegetation mm, so that you have that, that stopping point that helps. Yeah. And actually building on that, I remember just going back to the ag ag tour and we went to the Miller Ranch Mm -hmm. uh, and she talked about the fires and how um, when, you know, there was an evacuation order and she decided to stay just because she has livestock and um, managing the property. But she said she did feel safe because of this buffer that the green, the green areas create and that, you know, there is livestock there to manage it. Um, would, would you say it is super important that these um, pastures exist as buffers? Yes. And it's too bad we don't get credit for it. Mm. You know, that's, I think that's probably the biggest downfall, whether it's insurance, for example, my insurance company canceled me. I'm probably one of the safest places in Pin Valley, I would mm-hmm. be probably if there was an emergency and you had to go someplace, it would be a good place if you got stuck. I don't ever advise people to stay. I advise people to, when they tell you to evacuate, evacuate. Yeah. But if you got into a situation, I would feel very comfortable yeah. at our place. Not to mention because I do have water, mm-hmm. right? I have NID and I have the ability to keep things wetted down. But um, yeah, I think farmers and ranchers, they... They don't get enough credit. I don't care whether you're 10 acres or 15 acres. There's that buffer that really makes a difference. Every little bit helps. Every bit does help. Yeah. Um, And I actually do want to get into the uh, fire, just learn a little bit more about the fire as well. Um, What's it like when there is fire and you have all these trees that might be at risk or you have all this livestock on the land? Like what what happens when the fire gets too close? What, What do you do? Well, see, for me, I have it. I've got a set up. Mm-hmm. I can months. open. I can open the gates and bring my cattle in onto the green mm-hmm. fields where they're. You know, there's other things to look at, though. You know, you have the intensity of smoke mm. and heat, but I have enough distance between all that, which I think would be helpful. Um, so we have a plan. Mm-hmm. We we keep in place because there are fires. That's an unfortunate thing. Um, just across the fence from us, we have housing. We have developments that don't do such great vegetation management. So it could come and run that way, but we create the ability for the firefighters to come there and stop it too, right? So that's that's something that we work on. Um, and there's always work to be done. That's the wonderful thing about the Natural Resources Conservation District. They You have ability to do some equip applications there where they do some cost sharing for vegetation management. And I don't know if Linda out at the Miller Ranch spoke about that, but I can't even tell you how many trees they took out because we had the bark beetle situation. Mm -hmm. They took loads of trees out to make sure that that was safe. And again, make that fire break while you feel comfortable. Rich, we know we set up irrigation systems that meet, can switch over to fire safety stuff. Like Rich, talk about how you made your place uh, fire safe. So we're doing an equip program right now on eight acres and if even before that, even if fire hit that, it would just crawl on the ground. But we're taking the mid-story up to about ten feet or so. Uh, we're taking out comp- uh, competition between the trees, so that the real good trees can grow and be healthier. Um, and that's all because of NRCS and Equip. And then we're going to plant more pasture. 
what we've done also, we have right now, we have green crops in lettuce. Antonio does feeding mm-hmm. crane farm. Um, does a heck of a job. Very tasty stuff. Oh, it's beautiful. Good plug, huh? <laughs> um, but we have a pond, about a one and a one point six million gallons of water. We have a ten horse pump. If PG&E goes down, we have a generator that will kick in, and we have at least ten nozzles for fire hoses, and we have that many fire hoses, so we can fight a fire all all around the thirty two acres. Wow. Whatever direction. Now, last year we did have a, a neighbor started a fire, came onto our property, and hit the um, the the buffer. I had it scraped out, or some people disc a buffer between grass and grass, and and it hit that and was out. So uh, we take all those precautions. Uh, NID on the you know we're doing reforestation. So if you go up to Scotts Flat right now, which is looking beautiful. You take we the carrying capacity of an acre of pine trees should be what 70, 80, 100 maybe. There was two, three hundred in there. That's all been taken out. Um, water springs are starting to come back, and that is now all fire safe. And we're hmm. doing that hopefully to every one of our reservoirs and areas because that keeps the quality of water for us, protects the dam from any damage. Um, a fire gets in there, it's not going to do anything. It's going to crawl right on the ground. So, um, you know, reforestation is really important uh, for fire protection. Uh, I, I, every, except for one, every, <laughs> and it tends to be someone who's not quite aware yet of the danger and what their responsibility is by buying large acreage. But everyone I know uh, manages for fire. Mm-hmm everyone they're everybody's conscious yeah and that's just a precedent of being up here right well it should be mm-hmm. I, i'm not saying everyone does it <laughs> no i, I so, know one too <laughs> yeah i'm not saying everyone does it but it, it has to it should be mm-hmm. i mean that's the thing and that's why i believe in grazing as well mm-hmm. you know if you and i could tell you there's a few pieces of ground down on the bear that nobody uses nobody utilizes somebody out of the I don't even know who owns it, but it is a fire hazard because the brush has gotten so thick. And that's one thing that grazing does is help maintain that. The cattle go through, they eat on it when it's actually in the tender stages. I love the whole goat program thing that we've got going on where people use goats for vegetation management. Um, Again, regulation came in and put some of those guys out of business, Uh, which is very depressing. We Good point, because we don't know who they're working for, but it isn't for fire safety. Whoever passed that law had... It was crazy. It's beyond that. There's... Yeah, so we had two guys that had really wonderful programs, and they said they just can't deal with the... They gave it up. They gave it up. That diminishes our ability to... Their ability, or county... To send in herds, flocks of goats, sheep, whatever, and to mow it down before it becomes a fire hazard. Yeah. But then it's cool to look at. So then we do have a young man that, or a gentleman, not young. He's young because I keep thinking him as a kid. Um, <laughs> he actually does the vegetation management on Lake Wildwood with his goats. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you're interacting the goats with a community 
And I think they're really liking it, actually, most of the folks, because Goat's got such personalities, most of them anyway. <laughs> and so that's really working. And here in Nevada City, they've done a great project with it. But I think the, the thing with most of this is it has to be consistent and it has to be continuing. Um, a lot of vegetation, they, they actually thrive on being managed. And yeah. if you don't follow up, yeah. It's like they've had fertilizer and they just want to keep growing. Like oaks, especially scrub oaks, for goodness, you can cut those down. And in two years, they're higher than the day you cut them. Yeah. Blackberries, another one, yeah. you know, not a native species, no less. Um, and they love water on your creeks, right? But what does that do when they build there? One, is good, some of it, because it can hold your bank together. But the other side, would be better to have other kinds of vegetation that did that. Because the other thing it does is block the water flow. So then when you're having a winter storm... Uh. It doesn't allow the water to go where it's supposed to go. So there's always an unintended consequence for some of our actions, how we manage things. Mm -hmm. Now, NID has about 475 miles of open canals. And we have proposed, or and it's not, it's not being done right now, but we do do management on all, every mile. Um, we would like to increase that. That's very costly, mm -hmm. very costly. But can you imagine a fire-safe canal with water in it? Yeah. You could buffer. stop any fire almost. Uh, I, and I've seen it in action where we had a lightning strike in August. Couldn't find a, couldn't find that lightning strike for two hours, you know. And Song was looking. I was okay. Finally found it. Called the trucks in. Five of them. They couldn't pump up that high. But they could take the their hand pumps up to the tar ditch, pump out of it, one pump out. and then a next pump, and 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 they put the fire out. Wow! All right, it, it works. There's yeah. a, they have a water source like that. Now, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. We have a <laughs> six month irrigation season, but with climate change, we may have to go to eight months. We, we, we need to at least plan for that because October 15th comes, no water in the canals. We need at least until November 15th. And that all comes out of storage. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we started, instead of April 15th, we started March 15th on a dry year, that would not necessarily come out of storage. It could come off runoff or something like that. Yeah. But uh, we need to start looking at a longer irrigation season because in the valley, they're irrigating almost 12 months a year. Yeah. I think that's interesting, too, because like this year, we certainly didn't need the water yet. No. <laughs> we, you know, April 15th came and I don't think there's hardly anybody that was in need of irrigation water. Now, maybe in the lincoln and auburn area for their trees but that would be a little minor more you could send less let's put it that way so i know it's always a struggle i mean storage is to me is going to always be a challenging subject no matter what you do it's very hard i mean the water's got to go somewhere right and you if you're not using it it's still running down the ditch and so those are some things i always i think i challenge and i'd love to see water later into the fall just for fire safety yeah i would also yeah. I mean, it, it's not only something we have to work on. And actually, the plan for water for NID right now, tomorrow, we're going to look at hydrology and hydrography models. And and I've been told it's, it's part of that. 
Yeah. Now, eventually, within a few months, we'll have those figures. It may be doable, may not be. Yeah. So there's always a adventure in agriculture. Yeah. And we are always having to look how how do we make changes, and sometimes we have to do it very quickly. And um, I think harder even in the farming industry because you have to do such pre-planning. Um, even in livestock business, so you have had to plan how much hay. I mean, you know how many cows you have. You know how much hay you're going to need to get through the winter. Yeah. And then if you have a more severe winter, you have to kind of plan for that because then it takes more feed to keep the energy mm-hmm. of the cattle up to keep them hit. He- healthy during a cold and wet season. So um, I think that's one thing about agriculture is they always are ready to punt when there is an issue or be prepared. I'd rather have hay at the end of the summer to sell. Yeah. And know I have enough to get through the, the season. Yeah. With a little buffer. Yeah. I'll give you a story that has always astounded me and, and taught me a lot. So in 1932, there was a major freeze. For seven days, my grandfather walked or drove, keeping smudge pots. Back then, smudge pots are legal. Not now, thank God. But he kept diesel in each smud pot going on 60 acres. Wow. All right? Sometimes the hose would catch on fire. Sometimes it was whatever. It never got above freezing. And the farmer said, lost the crop, didn't lose the trees, took all 60 acres out. It didn't freeze for the next 10 years. So part of agriculture is being ready to, to strike when, when the iron's hot. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. He had already pivoted. And yet, next 10 years, he would have done very well, even through the Depression. Wow. Well, so, we saw that last year, Rich. Remember we got the late freeze? Yep. Nobody here in this county had cherries for sure. And the, I think in the peaches took a hit because the bees can't fly when things are freezing. Oh, uh, yeah. Know, so they lost that part of it. Plus the freeze took, took all the buds off yep. beforehand. So this year, though, they sure budded out. And I don't know. We'll see what happens. Cherries everywhere. I've got little cherries on my cherry tree. You mm. know, so it, it's really interesting. Like I said, you have to just, you, you have to look at it and really do the long range forecast like like tearing out your trees like they said that was a huge jump and it cost them in the long run because it takes a long time for a tree to come back and be productive yeah yeah and in 1991 our trees didn't want to bloom because it was so cold in 1990 and all right we suffered that year but 92, 93, yeah, it really got much better. Mm-hmm. But and isn't that what agriculturals do? Yeah. I mean, I think that really uniquely, somebody that has a passion for growing food and feeding the people and realizing that we're going to have turns that take us in the wrong direction. And some people just give it up. And that's been a really hard thing to watch too because it's hard work. Yeah. It, it's labor intensive. Yeah. I mean, like right now, I would just say we're hauling hay, and I don't have – it's a different era in people. Um, kids, yeah, used to be their greatest thing is come and haul hay in the summer to make their dollars, right? Yeah. And now you can't hardly get a kid to come and do hard labor. I mean, I got a daughter that's out there. Oh, she's working hard. She Yeah, she goes out in the morning, picks 80 bales up. One of the kids drives the truck. I mean, a girl shouldn't be doing that job. I, I've never been a – I mean, I can – 
did in my day too. You've done it, yeah. But I'm just saying it's not a girl job. But yet you have to do it. And labor is an issue, I think, in all of our industries. Um, finding yet, people that want to work. And yet today I, I called someone to order something. And we started talking. She's working 116 hours a week. Three jobs with a side gig. I said, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to get enough money to leave the state. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah. But I said, well, how are your friends? She said, all my friends are doing it. What? So it was a whole different mindset in her group. But we're finding that um, last few years, we couldn't find enough people to pack our fruit. And so it's consolidation is happening. It is. But then on the other hand, what's kind of exciting to watch is the folks that have gone to school gotten these big degrees that are coming back to work on the land hmm. i i find that just so amazing and and so good at it oh you know they have this passion for doing this integration of veggies whatever they happen to do and um i, I always find that's kind of uh it's heartwarming to me because without it i'm not sure how we will grow all of our food yeah, yeah. food security is a problem and like Sue was saying, um, so at a little after six in the morning, I go out and here's these kids. I mean, they're kids anymore. They're somewhere, but hey, you know, they're happy. They're joyful. <laughs> they're loving what they do. They're, they're educated. They're working hard. Yeah. They're doing what they, you know, it's amazing yeah. what they put into it and what they're getting out of it. Totally. And it is, it is heartwarming. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're fortunate to have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many cool farms here in Nevada County. So it sounds like Jason's coming out to your place for a tour and, <laughs> I know, and our place. There just is so many cool. I mean, I, I look at what Mountain Bounty's doing in North San Juan area. Mm-hmm. I look what, uh, I mean. First Rain. First Rain. Uh, you got Super Tubers, Feeding Crane, um, Star Bright. I mean, there's a bunch of them. And guys I haven't even met yet. Uh, Malika. At, oh, my gosh. I can't yeah. be what her. Bluebird? Yeah. Bluebird. It. It's world-class food, healthy, nutritionist, um, and it's they're building something in Nevada County that will make a difference. Yeah, and some of them has, have integrated the flowers yep. into their farming, so they get to add that. And it's beautiful, like, so you can buy a CSA of flowers, so you get flowers, fresh flowers along with your veggies. I think Malika does that. She mm-hmm. She's really integrated that well. Yeah, I think that's a fun. Everybody, there's a lot of different farms, and each one has their own little unique thing that yeah. they do. Yeah. And uh, the amount of food that is provided totally. to Nevada County is pretty it's, amazing it, numbers. Significant. That's really cool. And I, I want also, because <laughs> we did, I we did this one time where we're really touting uh, the new guys, right? We have a cadre of old, you know, older farmers, guys who are seasoned, ranchers that have really paved the way in this county that had they have a vision of 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 sustainability while you know taking care of the habitat doing it right taking care of the animals they're great uh farmers and ranchers and they've kind of paved the way and it's been going on for for over 100 years i mean your what your ranch was 1874 Mm -hmm. a lot of hard work 
Yeah. I farm a, I farm a farm that 1910. But to talk to my parents about what their grandparents had to do, mm -hmm. my God. <laughs> yeah. I know. I We're all, it's kind of interesting to just think that of the mechanism we've come so far with and how they farmed. Yeah. Back in the day. Um, that must be really cool. It is pretty interesting. I mean, haying is similar. I mean, and that's the thing because mm -hmm. we don't live in the valley. We, the equipment is very expensive. <laughs> Although we have good equipment, don't get me wrong, but it's not like having a harrow bed and swather and all those things because mm -hmm. we don't, aren't flat but um it is is it, i you know i look back and i think it's pretty amazing like rich's family same thing um 1910 probably somewhere before then doing something else and, hut, and my, my family the dakotas yeah <laughs> yeah you know and my family they came here in the 1800s and um it's been existing and working yeah. ever since it has never had wow. any downtime wow and so it's it's kind of a motivation and a good thing for kids to see that you can stay in business. You can yeah. be sustainable. Yeah. Even with the ups and downs. So I have two kids that work on the ranch and two grandkids, which are seventh generation. And so, um, yeah, I want yeah. I hope that they, they see the importance of carrying that on yeah. over time. Yeah. yeah. It's a constant within climate change. Yeah. As we're talking, it's having to pivot every time you look. Like we were just talking about that. Now, if Neela would hang on, hang on to thirty five more of those heifers this year, yeah. but we didn't. You didn't know you what know. was going to happen, right? Know. And so, but that'll be okay. I mean, the the dollars are there to make it through the season, and then it's, yeah. then the question: Do I save twenty five more now yeah. and and bet on what happens for next year? Because we're, you yeah. know, they're, you're always looking at that, like with fire, right? So. They're, they're scanning that out. Well, what is the season for next year? So they're talking El Nino next year. Mm. That means that the, the south is going to be a little wetter and hopefully push up to where we are. So we may have fall rains this year, wow. which, again, means more feed. Right. Because the fall feed gets started. We haven't had fall feed in a long time. In a long time. And this year we didn't have great feed because it was so cold. Huh. Yeah. But, but yeah. We, wow. So we had to feed hay a lot longer this year to get through till the – get. And then again, fire. So I think when we want to look at the fire, how we model that, I think that's important. Where how you graze your land, that's really important. How you use vegetation management, because then if you do have dry grass, like Rich was talking when he had his fire, then the the fire crawls. What we want to do is keep it out of that elevated space. So you, if you keep everything trimmed up, we give the firefighters the ability to come in and put it out. Yep. So I think that's really important. Okay, so. In the last 1,100 years, we've had five wet periods, each lasting about 70 years. The last one ended in 2007. After that, there was a dramatic drop. Right. I mean, it, it, during those wet periods, we received about 40% more water, rain. And now it's like going to be a drop. So even with El Nino and this year, it looks like we're going into an extended dry period. Now, how does that affect everybody's avail, you know, access to water? Well, the wells are going to get drier, possibly. Um, and maybe storage of water might get, you know, we're going to have to watch that a lot more carefully and, and just store every drop we get that we can. So going forward, can be more of a challenge 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I was noticing today all the bark beetle trees yeah. on Pilot Peak. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple my, on mine. I got to have I cut down. I saw that. I, yeah, I had a guy. I've got a guy coming to cut them down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it. And once well, that starts, then then it increases the the you know the heat factor really. Yeah. Yeah. It. So we have some challenges and. I guess my only message, we got to stay on topic. We got to stay, what's important, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and if we do that on each farm, each ranch, and produce food and keep the habitat healthy and um, use our water safely and, and, and keep, and also keep our water community-wise. Yeah. Um, I mean, Sue has brought up and maybe look at the water element at the county. Um, I, I, I think the county needs to really step up and become a lot more of a, a manager yeah. of our water supply and uh, groundwater, NID surface water, but mm -hmm. groundwater supply in, in, uh, Nevada County. Yeah, you hit that square on the head. Oh, I, I just think we do there. have to we do have to look at it. I think, you know, with development, I think that always is a hard one for me to watch Agland go out of being ag land when yeah. you look what they've done in the valley and you know they've paved over some of the most richest soils in wow. california in and here world. in nevada county yeah. we tend to do that as well we we try to look at rangeland as being um uh, you know land of importance in nevada county because it is and how, how do we keep conserving that and being able to still make money with the land. So there's a, there's a lot to do with this, but housing development come, each house has to have water. And so how many wells and do they go dry? So those are some things I think we have to look at and work on. I'm going to continue to look at that with NIDs. How, how do we support each other's mission and protect our citizens that that's my job to do, right? And then, of course, I want to keep ranching. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, this has been a pleasure. I Thank hope you. you got something so that much. was somewhat interesting. And oh, yeah. I mean, all of it was so interesting. I'm gonna have getting <laughs> just like picking the the picking and choosing.